This podcast is a production of Schweitzer, a United Methodist Church, transforming lives by making disciples of Jesus Christ. I'm excited to share this uh, last message in our series called The Five T's of Transformation. If you haven't been around, then look up on the website. There's a way to retrieve the video and audio messages from the two preachers on campus. And we come to week five, and our message tonight is tell. What does it mean to tell others about Jesus? How do we tell others about Jesus? What is the message anyway of Jesus Christ? Well, as I was thinking about the message, I started to think about how in our culture we have organizations, uh, corporations, for lack of a better word, that do a really, really good job of this. One, let's look at Apple. Apple, uh, Steve Jobs gets up on, on stage and he says, a thousand songs in your pocket. That's how, it's how he launched the iPod. And it's okay. That communicates, right? Clear, concise. Apple still has a brand that when you see their logo, you think simplicity, right? You think user-friendly. You think intuitive. It's, it's what their brand means. It's, it's a clear message. The next one would be Under Armour. I love Under Armour clothing. Every time you get a piece of Under Armour clothing, the fabric is just different, right? All these other company, companies out there making apparel... And Under Armour has got something going on with that fabric. It's more than just dry fit, right? It just fits so good. You think Under Armour, you think the fabric, the quality of the fabric. The third one I want to point out is Wally World. Man, we all shop at Walmart, right? But I, I, when I think Walmart, I still go back to high school, and, and my parents told me, I'll get it from Walmart because you can take it back. doesn't matter if you have your receipt. doesn't matter if you bought it there. You just take it back. Walmart just, oh, okay. But that you know, message from my parents was communicated from Walmart that they sell cheap stuff and they have good customer service. They're going to try to make you happy. They care about whether or not you're happy that you shopped there. And so I think about those three major global brands and how clearly they've done such a good job of telling us who they are, what they stand for, what's their message. And I'm thinking to myself, well, what is the Christian message? We've got an election that just happened. We have Donald Trump over here saying he's a Christian. We have Hillary Clinton over here saying she's a Christian. Both of them agree on very little when it comes to politics, moral and social issues even. So we can't get it from either one of those two, right? What is our message? What is it that we need and, and feel that we should be compelled to tell the world about? Well, luckily, we have a passage of Scripture tonight. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 11 through 21. And in these verses, we've got the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Corinth, and he is putting message clarity all together for us. He is giving us a real concise presentation of what it is that we believe, and also why it matters that we not only believe this, but that we share it with others. So we're going to do this a little different tonight. Um, Pastor Bob did this as well in the morning and, and me at 11. We're going to read just a little bit of the passage, and then we're going to stop, we're going to pause, and we're going to, we're going to unpack it. So let's get started. Verse 11 of chapter 5 in 2 Corinthians. Because we understand our fearful responsibility to the Lord, we work hard to persuade others. God knows that we are sincere, and I hope you know this too. Again, are we commending ourselves to you again? No. We are giving you a reason to be proud of us, so you can answer those who brag about their having a spectacular ministry rather than a sincere heart. 
If it seems we are crazy, it is to bring glory to God. And if we are in our right minds, it is for your benefit. And the key part of this passage, either way, Christ's love controls us. Other translation says Christ's love compels us. So the first thing that we have to understand about the message that we share is the motivation of our hearts. Where's our heart? Do we love the other person? Is our, not even do we love the other person, is our motivation fueled by and compelled by the love of Christ? The fact that God loved us, we didn't love God first, he loved us. Is that our driving and motivating factor? I had a friend um, in the church here, actually, a few years ago, and he had grown up in the church. Uh, He had been a leader off and on in the church, and he shared with me how he never talks to anybody about his faith outside of the church. I was taken aback, and and so we started this uh, multiple-week conversation about how he feels like, in our culture today, if he talks to somebody who doesn't know Jesus about Jesus— they're going to think they're a project. They're going to think that all he's doing is being a friend with them so that he can get them converted. A notch in the salvation belt. How many of you grew up in in churches where uh, there was soul winning? You would go out and try to win souls. Right, yeah? Yeah, I got a couple of hands raised. Okay, there's no. Uh, So this idea, he was just paralyzed. So he wouldn't talk about his faith at all because he was afraid that his friend or his family member, whoever it was, would think that that was his only agenda, was to get them converted. Now, I wish I had taken him to this passage of scripture uh, because Paul is telling us if that is your motivation to put another notch in your belt, that you did another good work for God and changed an eternal destiny, then then don't. Don't talk about Jesus if that's your motivation because it's Christ's love that is called to compel us to share this message, that God wants a relationship with us. There is a a pen and teller is an entertainment duo uh, in mostly in Las Vegas. But anyway, they're, they're pretty funny. They're a comedy duo too. And if we could show the picture of that, I'm going to go ahead and read it while you look at that. Uh, Penn is the one on the left. Teller is the one on the right. But Penn is a staunch atheist. Like he's not even shy about telling everybody he thinks we're all, those of us in the room that believe this stuff, crazy. But in an interview, he says that he wants Christians to share their faith with him. And the reason is, He said, well, let me just read his quote. If you believe that there is a heaven and a hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that it's not worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward, how much do you have to hate somebody to not tell them? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? So here's what Penn is saying. He's saying, if you love somebody and you're in a relationship with them, and the most important thing that you've ever learned in this entire life and world is that God loved you and invited you back into a relationship with him, then that has to come out in your conversations. It has to come out in some way, shape, or form in that relationship. And Penn is saying, not only should others not be put off by that, they should actually thank you. Whether they agree, whether they convert, whatever, They should thank you for that because it's an act of love to share the message of Jesus Christ with somebody who doesn't yet know him. So the first is the motivation of the messenger. You've got to check your heart. Make sure that you're going out based on the love of Christ. And we pick it up in verse 14. Since we believe that Christ died for all, 
we also believe that we have died to our old life. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. The next thing we see from this text is that there is a historic message that we share. Our message isn't just some philosophy. It's not just some ideology. It's not just another world religion that came up with a list of do's and a list of don'ts. We, the Ten Commandments is in the Bible. We love it, but that's not the essential message. The golden rule. It's great. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. But honestly, other world religions, other belief systems have similar sayings. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. I was leaving the gym this week and walking uh, in between cars, and I looked over, and I saw a sidewalk chalk. I don't know if this was a kid or adult, but kind of made me want to get the kid's sidewalk chalk out. But uh, they just wrote, love your neighbor, right there in the gym parking lot. I thought, that's cool. Love your neighbor. That's a good reminder for me. It's the second half of the great commandment that Jesus gives us. But is that our central message? No. That, right. No, it's not. Our central message is that God looked down on a world and a people who were running away from him, rebelling against him, and he didn't stay in heaven. He came. We're about to celebrate that as Christmas comes. God became a vulnerable baby, lived as a refugee, lived as a criminal, lived as a backwoods carpenter, taught, healed, died on a cross in our place for our sins and was raised from the dead three days later to prove that all the prophecies throughout the Old Testament were all about him. It's an historical belief that God became a man and all of that happened. That's what we believe. We have to understand that we can't get the message all convoluted in these feel-good kind of ideologies. We can't get them bogged down in these social and moral causes that are splitting denominations. We've got to get back to the fact that we believe in a historical Savior who was God in the flesh. So the message is a historic message. The next passage starts in verse 16. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. That means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone a new life has begun. So the understanding here is that the message makes an absolutely new person. It doesn't just rearrange the furniture on the inside of your heart and you're in the house of your soul. It's a radical transformation that a new person comes to life and an old person is dead and gone. This, in the beginning of that passage, is so important because if we saw the fact that that potential for a new life, if that potential for a new person, regardless of what you see on the outside of them, was inside of every person that we talk to, it would totally change how we see them. You see, we look at people, unfortunately, in our natural world, even if we've been in church for a long time, most likely when we see people, we're evaluating them, and we're evaluating them based on their brokenness, Or I would say we're also evaluating them based on their togetherness, right? Oh, it's successful. They're they're driven. They got good relationships. Looks like a happy family. Togetherness. Or, man, that person is jacked up. They keep screwing up. They keep messing up. They keep 
turning their relationships upside down. They get, you know, so we're seeing people and we're evaluating them based on their external realities. Paul in this passage right here says, stop doing that. Not that you don't notice it and not that you don't address it, but stop looking at them as a soul who is either broken or together, but a person that can have a new life. That's what, that's what Paul is trying to say. And I want to give you some examples. First is from a, a Brooklyn Tab, a Brooklyn Tabernacle Church in New York, Brooklyn, New York. And Jim Cimbala is the pastor there. And on an Easter Sunday, it was the very last service. He tells this story um, very passionately. If we could show the picture of Jim and David Ruffin. Uh, Jim and his wife are on the left. And David Ruffin, as a homeless guy, hooked on drugs, comes forward at the end of his altar call and the last of the Easter messages that day. And he's like, oh, man. So like he says that as soon as he gets close to the front, he can smell him. He can smell him before they make solid eye contact. And he, they usually, they have this policy, you know, we don't give money, but maybe you can come back on Monday kind of thing. And as soon as, they both tell the story the same way. As soon as he started to say, we don't have David put his finger up and like put it up in his face and he said, Reverend, I don't want your money. I don't want your money. I want this Jesus. Because the Jesus that you just talked about, if he can do what you say he can do, that's what I want because I'm going to probably die out there on the streets. Very likely. I won't make it much longer. And if I can become a new person, like what you just said, if Jesus can do that for me, then I want that. I don't want your money. David said he started weeping. Pastor in a suit on Sunday, up front, weeping uncontrollably. And he said they hugged each other. And when they hugged each other, the stench became from just foul to beautiful. Now he says it was, this, it was just amazing because God was connecting them in a supernatural way. And da- David Ruffin, his old life was passing away and behold, all things were coming new. And Jim knew this. Jim got him into detox. When he got out of detox, they helped him get on his feet, and now he's on the ministry staff at the church at Brooklyn Tab. Go to David Ruffin, Jim Symbola, look this story up on Google. It's It's a very powerful story. And what the point for our message today to learn from Jim is, he said that has fundamentally changed how he looks at people's brokenness. He know he notices it, but he no longer makes final judgments about that person based on it big difference in how it changed him. And that's how it's got to change us. We've got to be able to look past brokenness and into the potential that God has in every human life to become a new person. The next thing is togetherness. Now, you might have uh, people in your life who you see, and it's like maybe you envy them, but they seem to like have everything all together, maybe in your workplace, or maybe you've got some family that you've been the black sheep, but they've always had it together. And you're like, man, you know, what, well, what do they need God for? They've got everything all together. Well, I want to tell three stories that kind of just take that, the dominoes and push them down on that. The first one is from our uh, campus right here, Pastor Jim Mason, uh, who has preached some here and, and blessed the communion here on multiple occasions. He was um, in his 40s, and he was next door in the sanctuary one day after a life in the military with success, retired with honors, corporate life going real well, great wife, two solid kids, and he's in the pews next door, and he remembers the day, and he can point to the place where it was when, where he, this feeling came over him, and he was like, I'm empty. 
Like, I've, I've got nothing. Like, I'm, all of this success, all of these healthy relationships, everything the world would look at and say, man, you got it all. I feel like I have nothing. And he said that day turned him around. And, that, and then he talked to Pastor Bob, and he got into ministry, and now he's one of the pastors here on campus. So togetherness isn't really togetherness. I had a neighbor who um, was 29 years old, and uh, we had started getting to know each other. This was five or six years ago, and we were sitting on his back porch, and he told me, I have, I can't remember if it was five or six, but he had five or six things that he w- wanted to do by the time he was 30. And he said, if I do that by the time I'm 30, man, I'm on course. One was like to get his uh, pilot's license and own a plane. One was to get his master's degree. One was to get married to, uh, and he waited till after college to do this because he had to get everything lined up, is to marry his sweetheart, did that. And we're sitting on his back porch. Never forget, his name was Zach. And, and he's like, man, like I don't feel like the way I thought I was. And I've done all that I wanted to do by the time I was 30 already. And I'm 29 and I still don't feel like and uh, he wasn't ch- going to church at the time, and he asked me, he's like, so is that God, I guess? You know, he knew what I did. And I said, yeah, man, that's what it is. <laughs> it's God. And the final one is Tom Brady. Tom Brady is the Super Bowl winning, Super Bowl MVP, super stud quarterback from the New England Patriots. And he was interviewed by 60 Minutes a few years back, and the interviewer was asking him, like, man, you've got it all throw in the Victoria's Secret model girlfriend and just all the endorsements and, you know, and uh, Tom Brady kind of chuckles and he goes, yeah, but is, is this all there is? So is that it? He's, he was asking, like legitimately asking the interviewer and the interview goes, well, I don't know, is it? And he said, I wish I knew. I wish I knew. Folks, I'm telling you, if you are looking for contentment, significance, meaning, and purpose in getting the job you want, and getting the marriage you want, and getting the healthy, happy, adjusted kids you want, and having the best friendships that you can have, you'll end up right where Jim, Zach, and Tom Brady found themselves, still empty. Because there's a place inside of us that we need everybody in this world to look past whatever's together or whatever's broken on the external, whatever we're saying, whatever we're doing, whatever our external reality is, we need people to look past that and see into our soul at our true self, our potential, the new person that God can make us in Christ. And that's what we need to do with and for others. So we're going to move on in verse 18 and pick it up at, and all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to himself. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. I have said and read reconciling somewhere around three and 400 times this week, and I still can't get it down. (laughs) This is a word we don't use a lot in our everyday, right? Reconciling. The message is God's gift. That's the next thing we have to understand. We didn't make it up. It wasn't our idea. It is a gift to be simply received by the receiver, and it cannot be earned in any way, shape, or form. And for those of you, I see some heads nodding. For those of you, you might have been in church for a long time, but there was still a moment where the fact that you didn't have to do something 
for God's grace to make you into a new person took that very important 18-inch journey from here to here, right? That's the most difficult journey of faith that there is, the distance between the head and the heart. And when we believe in here that there is absolutely nothing that we can do or not do or anything that we've done or will do that can separate us from this message that God wants us reconciled with him, everything changes. That's grace. When the grace bomb goes off in your heart, you understand that it's all from God, everything Hebrews says that Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith. He came up with the idea and he pulled it off. So stop trying to do it yourself. Just receive it. The next is chapter 5, verse 19. We're going to pick it up and finish up 19 to 21. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. That is the message that we share. That God made Christ to be sin so that in him, when we believe, when we come back to God, when Christ lives within us and sends his Holy Spirit, that we can become the righteousness of Christ himself. That's the clarity of the message. Come back to God. A lot of translations say be reconciled to God. I love the New Living Translation. Come back to God. There's some stories that I want to tell from right here on campus where this church is reaching out and people within this church are sharing this message that God wants to be reconciled to us. The first is Mike and Becky, our very own Mike and Becky. Give it up. They're here tonight. You guys, you guys were famous on campus all morning long. Got your picture there. But you may or may not know Mike um, got out. Uh, from incarceration this year, and he had, Scott had start, started kind of tugging on your heart a little bit, uh, but he tells a story of walking back behind, he lives in the apartments next door to the church, started walking behind the church here, and God's tugging on his heart a little bit, and he starts looking over, and he sees the outreach center of the church, and he's like, huh, interesting, I might need to go in there and check that out, so he comes in one Sunday night, life is completely transformed, the old life is gone, the new life has come, now they're over next door and everywhere they go, talking about in court, anywhere you go, right? Come back to God. He tells a message. I've heard him talk about his relationship with God, and it's about his relationship with God. It's not about what he's doing. It's not about what he's even really seeing others doing, like I'm doing now. He's talking about his relationship with God and how that changed absolutely everything. And not only in his life, but it spilled out over into his family. The things that he had done had thrown their family in a lot of different difficulties and turmoil. Now there is a stable, godly man in the home, and that has changed everything. You see, when you become a new person, it doesn't just impact you. We don't get to sin alone, but we also don't get to just know God alone. 
it spills out. It overflows. Whether you're far from God and haven't come back to him yet, and when you come back to God, your family gets transformed. The people you're around notice. The people you're around want what you have. You get into situations where you can share this message simply because people are seeing how you have been transformed. And that's what I love about Mike and Becky's story. The next um, story that I want to tell is from the uh, youth group at Schweitzer. The youth group at Schweitzer, no, the next slide. So the youth group at Schweitzer um, did a Build-A-Bear campaign. They raised a lot of money to get Build-A-Bears, and they took it to Cox South, and they went to the, um, what part of the hospital did they go to? Pediatric. Thank you. They went to the pediatric and they took the bears. And what I love about this story, now you get a lot of church people stepping out and like taking stuff places and like dropping it off, right? Or writing checks or giving a handout. That's not what these kids did. These kids went into the rooms and just the presence of the Holy Spirit with them and the bear, they were asked to pray. Stories are coming back that the people, well, would you guys like to pray with us? Right there in the hospital room. Because they had a heart big enough to take a bear to a kid at the hospital. They're having times of prayer with families at the hospital. I love that. I love the fact that this is a campus that doesn't go out to reach people in the world with this message to get a notch in anybody's belt or so that anybody gets proud about how we've grown and all these people have gotten saved. That's not the motivation. The motivation is the love of Christ compelling us to take this message that God in heaven, who, if he was fair and just, would give all of us the death sentence. Every one of us. But he's not. Thank God he's not fair. He's a God of grace and mercy and love and forgiveness and patience. How many of you know that God is patient? How patient was he with you? Man, he was patient with me. I can't help but put out there tonight, from that last passage, if you have not come back to God yet tonight, when we come forward for communion, I'll be over here. Other leaders in the church will be over here to have a conversation, to have a prayer with you. If tonight you need to come back to God, if you need to be reconciled to God, if you look at your life and you say, you know what, I don't see the new person. I still see the old person. And I want what David Ruffin wanted when he came forward to Pastor Jim. I want to be a new creation in Christ. Come forward during the response time. Allow us to pray with you. Allow us to get you started in the Christian walk. Sounds too good to be true, doesn't it? That it's just a gift you receive? It's incredibly hard to humble yourself enough to receive it. But I pray that you will tonight if you pray with me. God, thank you for everyone in this room tonight. Thank you for the divine appointments that brought us all here. I pray tonight for every person who has yet to come back to you, to be reconciled to you, to do that tonight. I pray for those of us that feel in some way paralyzed or afraid or doubtful that we can share your message of reconciliation. Would you give us confidence? Would you assure us that this message that you love people and you want a relationship with them is just that clear. Help us to receive your Holy Spirit, to receive your love and grace, and take it out to a love, 
lost and hurting and dark and broken and evil world. We love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.